This episode of the Out of Bounds Podcast is sponsored by Fisher Skis, and you can visit them at www.fishersports.com. Hello, hello, hello. This is the Out of Bounds Podcast. My name is Adam Jabber, and we have uh, an awesome episode for you today with Chris Benchettler. Chris has been somebody that I've looked up to for a very long time. I This is one of those where I was like, I don't know what it's going to be like. I don't know how I'm going to feel talking to somebody like this. And honestly, Chris is such a nice guy and such a genuine human being that it was so easy right out of the gate and I could have talked to this dude for hours. So, uh, thanks to Chris for his time. I uh, can't wait to have him on again. Uh, the dude is, uh, is a legend in the sport, obviously. And we talk about everything from obviously his super successful pro ski line from, uh, atomic, which is entering year 15, I believe at this point. Um, it's really, it's really something special. It's one of the most beautiful looking ski lines of all time. It always has been. That's, uh, that's not news to anybody listening to this show. I'm sure. I, yeah, I was thrilled. We also got to talk about things like art, uh, which we spent quite a bit of time on. Uh, what's important to him? We talk about the dead and he kind of changes my mind on the dead. Um, a little bit. He also talks to me about NFTs in a way that I, I hadn't really thought about it beforehand. Um, and again, like it's still not something that I like. And I also, I still don't like the way outside is doing it where, they are firing everybody all at once. Uh, and then they're like, oh, NFTs, here's this big push. Here's all this money, but we're going to cut, you know, magazines and a bunch of staff. And uh, that, to me, if you're going to do that, like buckle down and like save the money where you're going to save it. Don't just like cutthroat people. But anyway, nonetheless, uh, stick around in the intro area. We have a uh, news segment that we are launching this week. So I'm going to talk about some current events. It's not going to be very long, um, but it... Who knows how, how long it'll be in the future. We'll see what happens as it progresses throughout the season. Obviously, there's a lot of cool shit going on in the snow sports world. Uh, and I'm trying to do some stuff that keeps me excited uh, about having, I don't know, just having a show in general. Not that I'm not excited. I love doing this and I've never never enjoyed a, a job more than this. But it's uh, it'll be cool to talk about the week-to-week current event type stuff. Uh, and we got some good ones for today, obviously especially with temperatures dropping. Um, also, we announced Michelle Parker's new show, Care Less, Do More. Uh, as of last week, it will drop October the 11th. Uh, couldn't be more excited. Couldn't be more excited for Michelle. She's uh, she's an awesome human being, and I've said that so many times on, on this microphone, but it's because it's the truth. So I uh, can't wait to do that. Can't wait to announce some show partners for that, uh, and it'll be really cool to just have somebody like Michelle as part of the collective and be able to think uh, the way that she thinks a little more uh, and kind of get into, I don't know, just kind of see what that's like. We're going to explore some new stuff this season, and I'm really excited. Uh, Gear Guide drops uh, first week of October, so keep an eye out for that. Shane McFalls did all the cover art. Cy Whitling did the inside back cover, and it is awesome. Um, And there is a ton of awesome contributors in that thing. Uh, For our first shot, i got to tell you, it's fucking good. It's really, really good. So, uh all that, uh, leave a review on the interwebs, wherever you do that on Spotify or on Apple Podcasts. We really appreciate it. We want to keep growing this thing and keep providing content that people give a shit about. Uh, and now, in order for us to keep providing content, we have a couple of ads from sponsors that uh, that I really enjoy working with, including the nice people at Woodchuck Cider. Uh, Woodchuck makes the best hard ciders that are out there right now. Uh, they make things from Granny or flavors rather from Granny Smith, Amber, Pear Seco, Sangria, Rose, Raspberry, Pear. Um, 
as well as mimosa uh and so i mean there's literally so many it's it's so ridiculous so Stuff is really good. Um, they're out of Vermont, so support a Vermont brand uh, and some really cool people who are putting their money in the outdoor space uh, and are doing so in a in a way that actually makes a difference. Uh, you can also check out their tap room, um, which is located in Middlebury. Um, Ethan, can you make sure I got that right? Middlebury, scroll down. Now I'm like nervous about it since I said it wrong like a while ago. So Matt's got me all bent about it, but believe it's Middlebury. If it's not, anyway, go to, go to woodchuck.com backslash cider house uh, and check that out. It is in Middlebury. It's 1321 Exchange Street, Middlebury, Vermont 05753. Uh, woodchuck.com. Check it out. And now we have Mamut. Mamut, uh, obviously the best in terms of safety equipment that is uh, that is available in the outdoor space, in my humble opinion. Uh, the best thing that they offer is the Berry Vox, the Berry Vox S, uh, and you can get 25% off on these things, which they are back up to retail on the website. Use promo code out of bounds 25 capital O, capital O, capital B, 25, and you get 25% off a new beacon, um, an aval- a avalanche safety kit, uh, which includes a probe, a shovel, and a Berry Vox. Uh, Go do it. I mean, if you need a new beacon, if you're questioning whether yours is still good, if you're going to start spending some time in the backcountry and you do not own a beacon, taking your first Avi one, whatever you're doing, go get this thing um, because it is it is hugely important and you must have it in the backcountry. Okay, uh, mamut.com promo code out of bounds twenty five capital O capital O capital B. Cool. Uh, thank you very much. Thank you once again to Chris Ben Chetler for spending the time with me. Uh, the dude is a legend, and I'm so psyched that I got to talk to him. And I hope you enjoy this, and uh, let me know what you think. Cool. See you soon. Uh, so we are putting time codes on the bottom of these episodes now. If you would like to skip the news segment and just go straight to the Ben Chetler episode, if you just want to listen to the news segment, feel free uh, to find it in the show notes. It'll tell you basically like right about when the thing starts. Uh, same thing on the YouTube. We'll have it all segmentedized. Is that a word? Yeah, it's a word now. Uh, so check that out. And yeah, here we are. Hi there. This is the weekly news segment. This is our first time doing this. And uh, we'll see how it goes. We'll see if this is a thing that people like. We'll see if a thing that if it's a thing that I like doing. But there's a lot going on in the ski world, especially preseason. That seems to be when there's the most shit going on is basically now through when the resorts start opening sometime in November. So a few things that kind of have happened in the last week that we should definitely talk about. Um, Yvonne Chouinard gave away his whole company. (laughs) Um, Can we just talk about that for a second? Like how insane is it that somebody builds a multi-billion dollar company and then like from the ground up and then completely gives it away? Like what? (laughs) I, I don't understand. I don't understand the level of like, Ethan and I talked about it the other day. It's like you're giving away this thing that you worked so hard to build because it aligns with your values, right? There's a lot of people that talk about this shit. There's not a lot of people that actually are about it. This dude is about it. And I think that, I think that's as simple as you possibly can make it. I, I hope that one day um, I would be in the position where I'm like, you know what? I, I want my brand to hold the values that I've always wanted it to hold forever. But 
I can tell you with minimal confidence right now that that would be the case. Um, it's just so hard. Like you have such an attachment to a brand that you create, especially on that level. And again, like I'm, I'm sure he's doing fine. I'm sure he's financially secure for the rest of his life. Um, but he's also by all accounts, a minimalist, right? Like he's somebody that just doesn't really give a shit about having money. And that's a, that's a thing that I say all the time. It's like, I don't care about money. I just need to get fed and I need to get like paid enough that I can live and do the things that I want to do. This is like a totally different level of that, right? This is the owner of a, of a major brand of a major company that holds space in the outdoor community forever, like permanently. And he's just walking around the office in Crocs. He's just hanging out. And now he's signing away their company. There's a, there's a certain validity that comes to, I don't even think this was a marketing campaign. So like be, I'm going to be careful about how I say this, but when brands own who they are and they connect with whatever it is that their audience sees of them, right? They have that awareness to go ahead and be like, this is what we do. And then they go and put that out. The marketing campaign makes itself like you don't have to build in a marketing campaign. This is, this is like as real as it gets. You don't have to fluff. You don't have to make shit up. This is, this is it. Right. And Burton did the same thing. Like, Donna Carpenter went out and she was like, fuck this. We're not selling the company. Like the company's not for sale. It's never been for sale. This is who we are. Right. So to turn around and make that a marketing campaign for Burton was so easy because she already made it right. Like she already made that exist because she answered a rumor with a definitive statement about how she felt across the whole company. Uh, and I just think that's really cool. So for for people that are in marketing, for people that give a shit about the marketing of things and that give a shit about the way brands are kind of presented to an audience, this is really, really cool. Um, and obviously, everybody that is a Patagonia ambassador, everybody that on the internet, us included, has shared this article um, and has shared something about it and, and kind of given all the props in the world to this company and I, I don't want to make it sound, this is not breaking news. This is just, it's just a fucking cool thing that somebody did um, and that happened. And, and I can't wait to see, I can't wait to see what else that brings in the outdoor community. Like that'll change the perspective of a lot of people when they look at their own businesses and they look at what they, what they want to do, what they are and what their ethos is kind of. I think this is, it's, it's big news. It's global news, obviously. New York Times broke it. And uh, hopefully more people are like Yvonne Chouinard. Um, and that's, that's really all I can say. Um, other things that are kind of happening in the outdoor space. Is this in my face? Is this good? Is this where it needs to be? It's fine there. I keep moving things. I always move it when I talk. It's noisy when I move it? Oh, sorry to everybody listening. I'm not super sorry to Ethan, but um, there's snow. Snow happened. Um, they're in a basin. It snowed. And that's really the only news that I can tell you that I'm just like, what is happening, right? Temperatures are dropping pretty much everywhere. I'm getting a weather channel notification basically every day about how things are cooling down and things are starting to happen and significant temperature drop in your area. East Hampton, Massachusetts is going is gonna to see a severe decline in temperatures this week and i think that means only one thing and that's that the ski season is coming so that is uh 
that's something to keep an eye out. Mount Washington Observatory posted a picture of the top of Mount Washington and everything is frozen as fuck right now. Um, and it, it's just so cool to see that it's happening and I'm excited and like everybody's juices are kind of starting to flow. And that's just the thing that, uh, that comes with preseason. Everybody's like ready. I've been like posting about it for a month. Mountains have been doing their hundred day countdowns and driving everybody nuts. It's just, it's time. It's time to start thinking about it. Obviously, don't give up on the bikes, but this is uh, it's the best time of the year to ride your bike. But this is this is hype time. Speaking of hype time, uh, a lot of movie premieres going on. A lot of stuff happening in uh, in likely your local area. Denver has a premiere or had a premiere this past week. I believe they have another one this upcoming week for Level One's tour, um, which includes like Freehand by Jake Magoo. Um, Parker White's new film, Parker, Parker and Friedel's new film. That's, uh, that's going to air that premieres, I think this Friday, but there is a showing of basically the whole level one film tour in Burlington in about two weeks. Uh, it is the 30th, I believe 30th, uh, in Burlington. So I will see people there. Uh, hopefully we'll see some friends, uh, Ethan intern, Matt, Myself and uh, Brandon from Darn Tough are all going to hang out, go golf, and uh, and then I think we're going to go see a movie premiere in Burlington. So come hang out with us. Come uh, come do some stuff, and uh, I hope you enjoyed this week's segment of the weekly news. Uh, we, we will have some more stuff, and I'll have some more actual news for next week. But as most of my ideas go, this kind of just got pulled out of my ass uh, this morning, and we're implementing it right away. So we'll see how it goes. Uh, once again, don't forget to, if you have questions or you have things you want to hear talked about it on the show, we do have a phone number, um, and I'm going to get that for you right now. So call in, ask questions if you want to talk about stuff, you want to hear us talk about stuff you want your questions read on air you want gear that's talked about we will have a time dedicated to that if you have a certain host you want to answer a question let us know that as well and we can get that to them uh the voicemail number is 877-927-3955 give us a call we'll work that into the show at some point but for now i will see you i guess the episode's coming right after this so uh enjoy the episode with chris ben chetler I will see you guys for this segment next week as well. And then we have Elsa from Slut Strand Society on next week. So see you then. Peace. All right. Uh, my name is Chris Benchetler. I am a skier and an artist from Mammoth Lakes, California. Awesome. Um, yes. so what uh, you lately, it seems like I've seen more and more and more of your artwork. Um, so let's kind of start off there. Let's talk a little bit about what, got you into making artwork and then got you into like selling art and putting it out there and then putting it on skis I think because that's a big jump from just making it for yourself and making it because you enjoy it to like actually being to the point where you can sell it and kind of like I don't know the business aspect of it absolutely yeah I mean why you've seen so much art lately is just circumstances my wife has been battling a very aggressive cancer We have two children and uh, I have an art studio in my home. So while the little one's napping or I can put on a TV show and get get a couple hours of of painting done. And then obviously from a ski perspective, too, with the success of my ski over the last 15 years now, there's been 
additions and iterations. So I now have five different models. And so, and we're always a couple of years ahead. So creating is, is necessary. And I never want my art to turn into a job or feel like a job. I want to keep that passion as the main driving force. And, and so I don't lose the creativity. So the more I create, the more I paint, then I kind of have options to choose from. And I don't force myself into a box just to try and get a graphic done on time. So there's, there's different motives for painting, but the main one is I am inspired to paint. It's therapy. It's very meditative for me. I can't just leave the kids at home and go for a quick bike ride or go rock climb as once what I used to do. So uh, with how much solo father, father time I've put in this year, I just have been spending a lot of time in my studio. That's awesome. I, uh, yeah. And it's, it's great work. It's beautiful. And I think so many people enjoy, it's funny because a lot of times people just put out artwork and it's really great, but you don't see people attach themselves to it quite as much as I think people have done with some of your stuff. And I think mm -hmm. one of the reasons people do that so much is because it seems very like ski inspired, right? It's like a lot of mountain based. Um, and I, I just see people, I run a ski shop and you see people come in with the screenshot of your ski in hand mm -hmm. and every single time, that's like the only thing they're looking for. I've never seen a ski be like people be so attached to a ski graphic and make it like part of their own identity the way that they have with your ski line. So I, why do you think that is? And yeah, I guess, why do you think people have found that level of connection with the stuff that you're putting out? That's a great question. I've never, I mean, it's humbling to hear you say that. I, from a ski shop perspective, yeah. um, I obviously know people resonate with my work and my skis, but I think there's a lot of layers to that. I mean, we can obviously dive into this a little deeper, but my relationship with the Grateful Dead and the community they've built and the fan base that they've built, that it's generations, you know, and I see generations of people. I have kids that are inspired by my work all the way to their parents, you know, so it's pretty incredible just to see what I've built. And I think authenticity is maybe a great answer there. Like my artwork is just a window into my soul and an extension of me. And I've spent, of course, there's deeper meaning to all of my work and there's hardship and there's loss of friends and loss of mentors and my father. And there's so many consistent elements in my work that relate to to um harder topics if you will but like you said the connection the community everything that i have in my in my life is is poured into my work and so i think so many people you know mountain towns and even surfing and and all the other elements i have it's people feel that connection to nature and, and, you know, the connection to animals and the connection that I try to express in my work and it's a widespread global connection, you know? And so I guess I've just found a niche that really speaks to people. I mean, cause it's, it's interesting, you know, from an art perspective, I didn't major in fine art or go to college for it, but it's, it's, you know, a lot of a lot of art history you know I, I can't speak to this for sure but 
Picasso's and, you know, some of those more famous artists, I don't know that there was even an art school, you know, it's just them expressing themselves and experimenting and trying new mediums and all these different things. And that's how I've treated my artwork. And I think the ability to have my art on a global scale, that feedback is what you're talking about. You know, I've people all over the world that tattoo my work on themselves and have a permanent fixture of my artwork was just very, you know, just humbling to see the connection it has. And so I think, I think because I'm getting that feedback and people are walking in and it just inspires me to keep creating and keep expressing myself. And it's just another, another layer to, to my appreciation for, ski community, outdoor community, and, and just everything that I've built these last 20 years. Yeah. That's gotta be a very surreal experience to have people tattooing things that you've made on them, on their bodies, like permanently. That's, uh, that's something not many people get to say or see. Absolutely. I mean, and I, I don't know how to navigate it. I mean, (laughs) it may even be, it may even be more like for a while there, so many people kindly like offer to pay me for my art, but then you, you put your, you give a high res image out there and then it turns into a t-shirt. And then like, I've seen my art, I've seen my art, which people are doing to tell, are telling me like inspired, you know, but I've seen it printed off the internet onto bands shoes. I've seen it printed onto ties. I've seen it on belts. I've seen it. And I'm like, holy cow, like this, my art is everywhere. I can't ever keep a track track of this. So yeah, from a tattoo perspective, so many people want commissions, but the amount of time it takes me to draw and I don't like to put myself in a box once again. So it's like some someone wants old man winter doing a certain thing or whatever it is. And I would rather express my creativity, make it available in print form is kind of what I've landed on. Like you can buy my art as, as a limited edition chiclet print and take that into the tattoo artist to then have that be your high resolution image instead of just making it widely available on the internet where it can go wherever it wants to go after that, you know? So it's been, it's been a trip and, and very amazing that people, people want my work on them. And, and I mean, I encourage people even if they want to pay me or just do it, I tell them to just do it. Cause I, I would rather just <laughs> like see all these images and, and know that, that my work is inspiring people on that level. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. It's also crazy to me that people just think some of that stuff is okay. Like it doesn't like trigger any natural response in their head that like, Hey, I'm printing someone else's work just for haha's on t-shirts and belt buckles and, and all yeah, that. Totally. Like that seems insane. It is a little bit crazy, but you can't control it. And so, yeah, I mean, it, I, I'm sure the same things happened with some of the, you know, Starry Night or the Mona Lisa yeah, or whatever, right, right. like how, how many people sell prints of that stuff. And that's ultimately what makes originals and one of one work so valuable. You know, it's like if you own the actual genesis or, or you know, origin of that piece, it's pretty, pretty special. Yeah, for sure. It's it actually has that unique bit to it, for sure. Uh, who who have you kind of taken? Like, have you taken inspiration from other artists? Are there people that you kind of look to as you're developing your own style that 
you really looked at and you were like, this is something that I, that I really vibe with, or was it mostly like taking things from, you know, things like the dead or skiing or whatever? Um, yes, I take inspiration from everywhere. You know, my main source of inspiration has been the mountains and mother nature. Like that's my ultimate teacher, but of course I'm so heavily influenced by the people that surround me. And, you know, I've skied for decades with Eric Pollard and he was an artist and hit, you know, like, not that I ever tried to recreate something that he's doing, but subconsciously, like we're sharing art with each other, we're sharing graphics with each other. And I'm just seeing this stuff around me all the time. No doubt that it's inspired me. And then, you know, I have a really good friend, Todd DeCercio, who did major in fine art and he lives in Brooklyn and he's, you know, more underground artist, but has a wide collector base. And he uh, is way more abstract than me. And he, we collaborated for the Grateful Dead piece and that broke my brain a bit and allowed me to like <laughs> deconstruct my work more and really let go of perfectionism, you know, which is what I'm learning now more and more what Picasso and these people meant that it, you know, it took a lifetime to paint like a child or whatever his famous quote is, is because you have to, you, you, as an artist or as myself, I can only speak for myself, but, you know, trying to recreate faces when I was a kid and do pencil sketches and shading, and you try to get everything perfect to whatever that photograph is or whatever, you know, if you're painting, painting still life or anything in, in art class in high school or in those younger classes, you're really trying to perfect that craft. And then as I've become an artist and it's all internal and just an expression of me, then it allows me to be much more free flowing and let, mm. you know, things just happen and paint over something that I really liked just to, just to have that mental, like, and I guess I don't, I'm not articulating this very well, but just breaking it down mentally and allowing that process to happen. So Todd's helped that. And then I painted a bunch with my friend, Sky Walker, who is, we've always had super similar styles. So that was a really easy collaboration because he <clears throat> used, he uses mother nature as an inspiration and he uses like that obvious black, dark line work like I do. And there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of similar art out there. So no no doubt that I come across something that kind of store in the back of my mind without even realizing it that'll inspire me down the road but yeah um yeah there's the list could go on those are just people like in my ether that I have worked with closely you know but absolutely just some of the bigger artists out there that have I mean even Banksy just has his yeah. approach to what he does and that documentary exit through the gift shop and some of the street artists out there that are, you know, just creating for the sake of creating is pretty inspirational to me. So. Yeah, that's uh, it, it's crazy. I, I like when people kind of acknowledge that kind of stuff and acknowledge that like they, yeah, everybody takes inspiration from everything. I feel like sometimes you talk to people and they're like, Oh, I just, I just kind of made it up. Like I just, it's nothing. Right. But everybody, even when I, when I see stuff, it just kind of gets stored subconsciously in the back of your head and then it kind of triggers something and you have like your reaction, your take on it. And I think that's what makes a lot of some of this art so beautiful, right? Is that it's your perspective on things that, that you're kind of taking in from your environment. 
Absolutely. Yeah. Even if it's a color palette or whatever, I mean, right. you know, certain times of day in the Sierra or the Sierra in general, like what the colors of those mountains and is it photographs I've seen of Pondella that I've worked with for 20 years now, you know, like, or there's so much inspiration out there. So yeah, it's, it would be, it would be dishonest of me to say that I'm not inspired by like the whole ecosystem around me. You know? right. so. um, let me ask you a bit about Eric's work because it, his artwork has always been beautiful. And it was kind of the first skis that I remember looking at and being like, this is artwork on a ski, right? Like, especially with like the Sir Francis Bacon's and all those skis that were so popular at line. And now mm -hmm. he's with Season, and Season's whole bit is, like, these all-black, like, very clean-looking, and they're beautiful. And honestly, some of my favorite-looking skis, personally, just because they're so simple. Mm -hmm. Is it interesting to you that, like, he's gone from, like, this, like, artwork on a ski, like, in-depth, painted, to, like, being part of the ski company and owning the ski company that's just, like, making all-black everything? Yeah. It is, I mean it's just evolution. Like I've gone the complete other way. I right. went, if you look at, if you look at the history of my skis, you know, I tried simplicity. I tried wood grains. I've tried, you just experiment as an artist. And I think their main focus is to not, is sustainability, you know, to right. not have a alter, like a change in graphic every season, which I completely understand too. But I think what I've realized <clears throat> working with Atomic and expressing art, like what you said at the beginning, you know, all of these different skis resonate with different people. And though someone might buy my skis in 2010, the next person that buys them in 2011 gets that graphic. And then the person that had them in 2010, maybe re-ups in 2013. So I don't think it's forcing the people to just buy them every year. So that logic of like, changing graphics is unsustainable and it's like you're you're hopefully bringing in new new consumers and new fans of the work and new fans of the ski and trying new technology so i think the life cycle of skis in general is being figured out and there is sustainability issues with just the ski industry and in outdoor sure. industry in general yeah. you know like yeah. Recycling skis, recycling boots, the amount of plastic, and all the all the things like that is being addressed. It needs to be addressed. But from a graphic perspective, I am more inspired more than ever to like keep updating and keep adding new and keep evolving in a more psychedelic realm or wherever I'm taking my art. You know, it's really digging deep into my mind, and it's it's become this physical timeline of my work that you could really look at you know like the first few skis were so insanely inspired by Japanese culture and my time spent there and how much I love the people and the food and mm -hmm. the like anime there was so much inspiring my work then just because I was so taken back I didn't travel a lot as a kid I didn't have a ton of worldly experience my first time on an airplane was for a ski competition so my trip there with JP Eau which was kind of when I launched my first ski, you know, that was when I really fell in love with Japan and just like spending time in the city, spending time at some of the temples and just like really getting immersed in the culture it influenced my work for the next few years. And then, you know, like music started to creep in. You can see like a pretty heavy Beatles theme in one of my graphic and then surfboard, 
started to creep in and I went wood grain and then, you know, you can see <laughs> it's pretty obvious to me anyways, to see the influences, but it, it just is all a matter of like where I'm at in that moment in time and space and where I am experiencing life, you know? So. Right. Yeah. And I also, I kind of feel that the way that you design skis and the way that the graphics are portrayed on the skis that you put out, it makes them, where no matter how hard people ski them and no matter how many years they use them, it's almost like you have a piece of a timeline, right? So people mm -hmm. tend to keep them as artwork, I think, more than they do with other skis. So it's not mm -hmm. like they're just dumping them and moving on either, right? They're like keeping yeah. them as something that's like close to them and represents a timeline in their own lives too. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a great point and something I agree with wholeheartedly. I mean, I, I see people on the first generation from 2008, yeah. you know, and I, people are still skiing them. I've seen them turned into benches. I've seen them turn into fences. I've seen them <laughs> hanging on people's walls. I, I mean, restaurant owners in town, like the amount of people that even asked me for broken pairs just to hang on their wall. Like people really do view, view it as a piece of art. And so do I, you know, it's like, it's an extension of me during that moment in time. So it's pretty, pretty cool to just see it resonate on that level. Yeah. Can we, let's talk a little bit about the dead's influence on you in recent years and in general, uh, obviously I tweeted a few months ago about the dead and like how everybody was putting everything on their skin. And this wasn't directed at you because you were one of the first doing it. I feel like, and you were one of the people that I feel like did it right where it was like inspiration. And then you kind of like you built a thing around it versus a lot of these brands just take like a grateful dead stamp and they just stick it on things. And I think that's what Cody and I were talking about when we started talking about this thing, but yeah. what, what is it for you about the dead that, that gets you into that mindset that you, that you relate to and that you think people relate to <laughs> this podcast might have just extended an hour um <laughs> i mean that that whole experience and just them coming into my life it has become the soundtrack of my life and i always i mean to backtrack i always had parents that listened mainly to classic rock and reggae so it was like bob marley led zeppelin stones all of these things you know there wasn't this huge huge catalog outside of those two genres and so the dead <clears throat> were not a huge part of my childhood because it, they were on the playlist you know at times but they weren't my my parents weren't deadheads by any means they went to shows as well in the in the 70s and whenever else but i have he's a family friend, but we'll call him an uncle just for the sake of how, I mean, he spends every holiday with us and everything, but he is quintessential deadhead. Been to hundreds <laughs> of shows. He's been following him. He's in his fifties. Now he's been following him since he was 16 years old and he nonstop, you know, in his car. And I mean, he's, he's in Hollywood entertainment. He's a manager. So, I mean, he's taken me to Neil Young. He's taken me to Bob Dylan. Like he is into music, you know, that's just part of his life. But the dead is what shaped him into the human he is. And so when that started to click for me and started to, you know, like I just understood that how they operated and that they just never knew where they were going. And it was based completely off of, off of feel and connection and rhythm and all of 
all of those things that that is so much how we ski and snowboard and surf and all of the things you know it's like that improvisation is is very very present in my life and it's you're dancing with the mountain and then you take that aspect of the dead which is like the main thing that drives their shows and the main thing that sets them apart and turns them into this incredible band that's been i mean a lot of people don't consider them the dead anymore but the fact that most of the members have been playing together since the 60s and they're still the same fans and the kids and then their kids kids you know it's like a generational movement that is still following them but the community the culture like the people that i've met that love the grateful dead is some of the most incredible they just leave you with hope. They leave you feeling inspired. They leave you in Bill Walton's words, they leave you (laughs) invincible when you, when you leave a show. But yeah, I mean, I just, I just started to see it. I started to feel it. And then when it got brought into my skiing, it came directly from Warner music group from the grateful dead. And now looking at like what they've built and who they are and then they've always been doing product collaborations. So it's even for me, I'm like, Whoa, they do a lot of product collaborations, but that's the dead. Like they told everyone, you know, Jerry's like, come record us. We don't care. Like everybody's welcome. We want everyone here. This is, this is culture. This is us. And so it's the exact same thing. Like Hey, here's Grateful Dead merch for everyone. You know, you can't afford a pair of skis, go buy a pair of sandals. You can't afford this, you know? And so there's a crazy approval process. I know all the upper management at Ryan, Rhino Records and Warner Music. I've become personal friends with them. And I mean, David Lemieux, who was our music supervisor, is the legacy manager of the Grateful Dead. And he hand stamps and approves every single collaboration so they have meetings upon meetings and like look into the history of the brand and like the authenticity and all of these things so from my perspective it's like bring it on more power (laughs) to them you know like they they have transcended with the addition of john mayer and i mean he I would have never listened to John Mayer's music. (laughs) I was going to ask you how you felt about this. (laughs) I mean, there's a lot of people, like I said, that don't feel it, that won't even go to a show because they don't feel without Jerry, they don't feel like it's the same band, but they're a super group. You can't deny that their talent is just like on another planet, you know? And, and I mean, personal time spent with mickey hart and with bill walton bill walton's been to over a thousand shows like just that one human being has gone to that many shows and and his wife has been there to a lot of them and his kids have been and his i mean he i just talked to him a few days ago because we're planning some things maybe we can maybe we can allude to that what a flex he just uh he (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I guess that does sound pretty awful. But I love he it. was just I telling me he was telling me that he's like he goes to music. I think he went to a Neil show. I think he went to a Dylan show. He was just telling me, he's like, Yeah, I was on tour with the dead. I went to Boulder and you know, Hollywood and Shoreline and blah 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 blah. So like he is still following that band around and he is the most busy human. So just to see 
that connection and that culture, that community, all of those things are directly relatable to our ski ski community and surf culture and snowboard culture. Like it is, it goes hand in hand and they, you know, the dead themselves, like talking over all these projects that I've done, you know, it's, they, they feel it. They're inspired by nature. They were some of the greatest storytellers, you know, Hunter and all, all of them, the writing they've done and the lyrics they make. It's like, it, it's music for our soul, for people that really connect with nature and understand what they're doing. So yeah, yeah. it's, it's insane. I don't know if that was the greatest <laughs> answer. That was pretty long winded of like the whole, the whole ecosystem of what I built, but yeah, just being able to have conversations with these people. And I mean, I got an email this morning of a guy in Chile who's friends with Bob Weir, who wants, he's trying to get my skis still that we released in whatever, 2019. And he's like, met someone, they were talking about my skis and he's like, oh man, I, I'd miss them. I want them. Do you have any left? You know, like those kind of just, it's just nonstop with the, with the dead culture and with skiing it's goes hand in hand yeah i uh that's yeah chris that's that's amazing like i really think that even having a personal relationship with like the people at the record label and like and bill walton and like all these people that it connects you to is is very great and one of the most crazy things to me is the way that it now like everybody seems to get it right like everybody seems to get why they love the debt like anytime you ask someone it seems like they all have a similar answer and it's just like it connects all of them immediately. Like you can not so know someone at all on the street and then all of a sudden you have that in common and you could talk to them for forever. It seems like. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, it influences their life. It influences how they raise their children. It yeah. influences decisions they make. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's a trip to see. And I'm, I exactly that. I mean, my van is a billboard for the grateful dead, but <laughs> I'll drive it even locally here. I was mountain biking, like kids, my both my kids and my wife coming out with our bikes and stuff. And this woman runs up with a steal your face on her shirt. She's like, I have to give you a hug. You know, it's just like an immediate conversation starter. I like get notes left on my windshield and stickers. And it's, it's insane. It's like some of the most passionate, incredible people. And they are just living the dream, which all of us in these mountain towns are doing the same. Yeah. I think it's also the connection to like psychedelics and the dead have also been a really big part of things too, where for some reason, and I, I don't know, that connection seems like it, it's very integrated into what a lot of people feel for it. And they feel whatever's going on at a higher level, whether, I mean, whatever they're, whatever they're doing, whether it's psychedelics or smoking weed or whatever, whatever it is that like makes people feel that connection a little deeper, at least, you know, from the outside looking in is very, it's an interesting way to go. And like, I don't think it's marketing, but it's marketing in the sense that like people all feel connected in this way. And it's very, it's very bizarre to me. I just, it's, I love it. And that part of it, I think is, is very, people just seem to get it like they just seem to get it absolutely i mean it you can relate it to a religion really you know it's like they speak the same language they have the same beliefs they 
from a psychedelic nature too you just feel in touch with the universe right. and gaia and all of these things and um i mean it's connection is what it breaks down to and you're connected to to the band you're connected to the people you're connected to the art the music that everything that comes along with it yeah for sure um let's let's talk a little bit about kind of the newer direction in art which is nfts and like kind of making this product that's available digitally i read a little bit like you were kind of touching on the fact you actually posted this really well thought out thread on nfts and kind of your personal experience and how most of your artwork has been very physical over the years and now kind of transitioning into this um, as of late not that it's a full tra- like you're still doing obviously the physical a- aspect of things but what yeah. what has that been like for you what is the benefit of nfts for you and that you can see for other artists it's a really hard question to answer i mean i spent so much time trying to educate myself and the deeper I got, the more confused I got. Same. And okay. I, <laughs> I just like podcasts and reading and articles and asking and everybody has a different perspective. It's like PFP collections, like put your, I talked to some of the highest people in the space because i fortunately have a large network, right. Yeah. From skiing and just whatever, I mean, even my ability to be on super rare is like right. a long waiting list and you have to get invited and all of these things like because because I have my artwork globally known and because I have skiing and all of these things, it's just like, oh, that person knows this person who helped, you know, develop Bitcoin, basically. That's right. not entirely true, but more or less, you know, I'm like talking to someone I met at Baldface who's in the tech world, who knows someone who was early investor in, in dot-com and like internet development and all this. So I'm, I talked to a lot of very intelligent people and even the most intelligent people all have different perspectives and different ideas. You know, some people are like, utility is all that matters with NFTs. You need to offer something, you know, whether it's like, an experience with you or availability to your zoom calls or like meeting once a month and, all, and then other people are like fuck that i'm in it just for the art you know like one-on-one art is all i care about and it was just an overload of information and it still is very confusing to me but it is something that i've asked myself again and again i'm like okay how did i try to look back how did i feel when when 16 millimeter stopped and we've switched to digital cameras and then all of a sudden you're watching your footage in the field and you're looking oh crap i could improve my grab a little bit like you're you have you had film cameras film still cameras you know everything was this analog process that took a very long time and then the birth of the internet and then we saw you know eric and pep and andy and i like we're very, very early in free content online before anyone was doing it. And like putting all of our, all of our artwork out there, meaning our skiing, you know, our art form was for free on the internet and believing in the internet and seeing what social media turned into. So it's like, I'm like, okay, there's this buzzword web three or, you know, NFTs, like, what does this mean? But, and I can't entirely wrap my mind around it, but what I do know is I'm always, 
I'm the type of person who wants to learn and wants to grow and evolve. And so I, you know, at first it was all the information about how bad it was for the environment. So I was like, Ooh, okay. I don't (laughs) think I want to go down that road. And then talk to people that are like, that's completely false. It, it does use a ton of energy, but there's brilliant minds that are working towards proof of stake that Ethereum will live on this blockchain that uses a fraction of what this system uses. Or they're like, look at the normal banking system. Like how many branches are there? How many employees are there? How much energy for lighting and security? And like, you just have all these people like throwing ideas at you. You're like, okay. <laughs> Switzerland here. I, I'm, I'm I'm taking Switzerland route. I don't I don't even want to try and understand and make it political at all. So I was like, okay, remove that thought process. Just like focus on the art of what. Why do I want my art on the blockchain? What does that mean for me as an artist? You know, and that's you artists get a hundred percent or you mint and depending on what you mint on, like Super Rare does take a percentage, but you get the vast majority of your sale. And then if it's resold, you get a percentage every time. Whereas like the gallery takes 50% of your sale. And then if that resells and your family and anything, your legacy you leave behind, like it's, it's encrypted on the blockchain. So my kids, there's a smart contract that will always pay my crypto account when my art sales. And so my kids will be passed down that artwork and they will continue to get benefits from that and that just doesn't exist in the real art world and I was like okay that's interesting like if you're creating to sell and get your artwork out to the world then this is clearly like a pretty well thought out way to do that to give to the sovereignty of artists you know so that that was intriguing to me and just did you know i know nothing about video games and world of <laughs> warcraft and, or minecraft and all these things like i but i do know there's full-on metaverse type things happening for children like in a in a very large way globally and so when you go into these games and you can go into a gallery space and there's you know a chris ben chetler piece and a whatever <laughs> picasso piece right next to it in a digital gallery or whatever that is it's it's getting my work to a much broader audience and getting new collectors getting personal back to the community thing like i have personal relationships with the collectors that i have sold to and i mean i do in real life too obviously but you are talking directly to them whereas in a gallery setting, you might never get as a buyer at Sotheby's or Christie's or whatever, you will likely never communicate with the artist. You know, you're just buying a piece of art that on the wall, that means something to you that's famous for whatever reason it's famous for. So there's, yeah, there's all those elements, but I just think, I think believing in that that web three will be part of our future and I don't see it necessarily going anywhere um, is a huge reason. And just trying to like the whole reason I do art is to share my views on the world and to share my soul with the world. And that's just another platform to do it. So I've taken the opportunity to kind of go down that road. Yeah. It's, it's kind of interesting to me because I think 
And, and what you say about like the internet and social media and putting videos out for free online and like thinking about how people perceive that stuff in the initial, like obviously there's some pushback on that kind of stuff when it first comes out too. My, for me, the biggest thing that deters me and I'm sure deters a lot of other people from the NFT space is understanding it, right? Like it's just understanding what it is. Like I have such a hard time figuring out what's what and that's where it becomes, and I'm sh- again, I'm sure this is the case with a lot of people where you're like, I, I don't get it, right? Like, I don't understand what I'm supposed to do. I don't understand how it works. But the point yeah. you made about it reaching a broader audience is is really important to note, right? Like, it's it's the way we do a lot of things. It's like, it's the way people consume podcasts, right? It's like I told you before the show, like doing the video aspect of it adds something to what we do here, right? It's kind of the same idea and there's definitely and there's other shows in skiing that are like i'll never do video because it's not the purest podcast one i'm like well does it really matter like what is it what does that even mean right like it's all the same thing and you're trying to get the purpose and the content out to more people yeah and and i mean using your podcast and as an example it's like it's technology that's opening so many doors that's so far beyond my scope of knowledge but Take say you create an NFT for your podcast that then gives people access into your podcast room and who you're interviewing and allows them to watch and interact and ask questions and do like Web3 is so technologically advanced and there's going to be so many elements of that that you it just seems like the possibilities are limitless from what what I can learn. And there's, I mean, going back to just art you know there's creators there's collectors and there's people that are investors we'll call it like flipping trying to make money and i'm not i'm not there to flip my art i'm not there to like i'm using it as a as a gallery space for lack of a better word to showcase my work to that broader audience so if my stuff doesn't sell immediately like i don't mind i have this isn't like NFTs aren't my livelihood and it's not all my eggs are not in that basket. It's like, I'm using my creativity and creating and believing in the space and I'm expressing, or I'm putting my work out there for people to view and see and ultimately collect if they resonate with it, you know? And so that's, that's the simple terms of why I'm doing it. You know, it's just another way to share my, share my experiences and share my creativity with, with, with the world. Sorry to interrupt this conversation, but we have a sponsor to tell you about, and that is gravity grabber. Uh, gravity grabber is the best ski holding system, ski storing system that exists on planet earth. Uh, it's seriously so easy. It's been around forever. You can hold skis, snowboards, broomsticks, ski poles, arms, really whatever you want. Uh, This crew of people has created a product that is as timeless as it gets. Uh, Make your gear room not look like garbage this season. Keep everything organized. Even if you're putting your skis in your front hallway, get some of these, let it hang. And I got to tell you, the benefits of like letting the thing hang dry too, very significant. That is a thing. Um, so hang your skis. Oh, shovels. Ethan's got a video going. We got shovels being hung, some other device, some other, some shears or clippers. I don't know what we call those things. And then something that appears to just be a metal rod, um, being held in the gravity grabbers as well. So a multi-use product, if there has ever been one, 
uh, you can go to gravitygrabber.com and use promo code out of bounds to save 15% off on your purchase. Ethan, that's right, right? That promo code? Yes. Yes. Out of bounds for 15% off. Uh, save yourself some money. Get organized this ski season. And we're back to the episode with Chris Penchettler. Yeah. And you don't find it takes anything like time-wise or commitment-wise. You don't feel like it takes anything away from the physical aspect of art at all, do you? Not for me because I'm still physically painting. Like right. I, So basically I've... I paint my pieces and then if I shoot it like I do just to have it for my archive and turn it into ski graphics or whatever I do, then I have that and I can just release it as a JPEG or I can, you know, I work with an animator in the UK who's, who's become a good friend of mine to help, help me animate my vision, you know, to like bring my painting to life. So it does have something different than my, in real life collectors are getting with what they're hanging on their wall. Mm. And so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's not taking away from my creation process at all. It is taking away more time and time is valuable. Like for me to even, you know, plug in my ledger and log onto my accounts and all of that is like stressful and confusing, like you said, and there's like so many layers to it. It's just another thing I have to learn. And I, I, you know, it takes away time from the family and all, all of those important things. But once again, I just, I'm someone who likes to learn. I'm someone who likes to push myself and evolve and try new things. And I, uh, yeah, just, I just believe in, believe in it and think there will be a future there. And I could be totally wrong, but <laughs> I mean, it's worth right. trying. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I, I don't totally. see, yeah, I, I don't understand it enough to be like, I have a hard stance one way or the other. The only one that I, it, you know, in terms of all this, the newer stuff that's kind of going on, I, I don't know that I understand things like the outer verse or whatever outside's calling it. Like that one's been a little tough for me because yeah. they like canceled a bunch of the physical magazines and then like, and they laid off a ton of people and then they're paying people a bunch of money, which again, like I always have a hard time when it's, when it's an athlete promoting it or an athlete pushing it, I'm like, take the money, like for sure. Like take it, like yeah. get paid wherever you can. I, but at the same time, I'm like, all right, these people are just laying off a bunch of people and then just switching out who they find important at that time. And it just seems yeah. very much like using people for what they're worth and then dumping mm -hmm. them to the side as soon as they're not, like it doesn't make them as much money anymore. And that, that kind of rubbed me the wrong way. And I feel like a lot of people have that same opinion about, that category of things. Um, yeah. And I, I kind of wonder how you feel about it. And I also, I, I want to make very clear, I don't think those are the same things at all, right? Like I, I very much, I understand the difference. I just, they came out almost at the same time. So I think people kind of, they attach the two things together very much as the same, totally. you know? Totally. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I agree with your perspective. I think the Outerverse reached out to me and wanted me to be involved. <laughs> they knew I had success in selling, you know, some work. And so it's, I wasn't interested. I, I think they, a lot of companies are having these conversations and the more companies we bring in and the more our web three brings in and the more it can help us as just average people understand it is great for everyone. You know, I mean, like what Travis Rice did for natural selection, he had an NFT portion, they built their own blockchain, but, and so I've had opportunity after opportunity and questions, you know, like 
what earlier in my conversation, some of those very intelligent people I was talking with, they're like, mate, let's turn your old man winter into a 10,000 collection. Like you see with board apes or all of these things. Right. And it gives people access to like buying your skis early or doing this. And I was just like, you know what? I, it's like a chasing the shiny ball and maybe <laughs> it works, but I just, it's not me. Like I create art for the sake of creating and to express a vision and one of one art in the nft space feels valuable to me and i don't think it'll ever lose that value like doing the cash grab and having it be a badge or an icon like i don't i didn't even research the outer verse enough so i don't want to knock what they've built by any means I, but i can i will for us but it's uh, yeah okay <laughs> like, okay i, I mean it. yeah the, they asked me and I just, I, I've taken like a hard line. I'm just staying as an mm -hmm. artist and I'm going to do one of one work and visions and try and make my work accessible to people that want to collect, you know, and that have an app, a, a screen on their wall that alternates through their nfts or you know like there's there's all these different forms of showcasing your art now so it doesn't just live on your phone in the blockchain right if that was confusing for people at the start they're like oh, i'll just right click save that okay i have an nft but the whole the whole that's like goes to our earlier conversation actually of like people tattooing and right. the origin of that piece of work and its value of the original one created and even, I mean, from a photographer perspective, like it's incredible. There's so many photographers that wouldn't or couldn't get in a gallery setting because for whatever reason, aren't considered artists, you know, or I, and I shouldn't say that. I hope that doesn't come across as a quote ever, but I, cause I consider them artists. I consider yeah, seeing art, same. you know, but it's allowing them to, build value in their work and share their work and do collections you know like someone could do a collection of all the different mountains or the you know yeah go to nepal and go to wherever like take jimmy chin or pondella or whoever these people have incredible bodies of work that you can buy prints on their site and they're numbered and they're valued you know you can spend a few grand on a print on these guys or you can own the original of that photograph and that's what confuses a lot of people and confuses a lot of artists and photographers too it's like i the minute it leaves my paintbrush i own the copyright and i always will same with my artwork on my skis same with the artwork on my prints on my goggles on my it's like still my creation and my copyright and i'm basically licensing it to these companies you know and allowing them to use it and get my work out there but i until i sell that original origin of that piece then a collector owns the original and i don't own the original anymore i still own the copyright i could continue to make prints of it i can continue to license it and do whatever but the value is in that original piece just like the Mona Lisa. If you have the Mona Lisa, there is a thousand different iterations and prints and whatever, but the one is what holds the value. So when you let that go to a collector in real life or digital sense, then you're giving these people a lot of value. 
you know, and then if depending on how long they hold on to it or, and, and sadly, like a lot of art, you know, becomes highly more valuable after the artist is dead. So we'll see what happens with my legacy and my work and all of these things. But at this point, you know, like I have people that resonate with my work and the demand is high and I have incredible network of collectors and people that want to own my art. And I am, yeah, just humbled and grateful and same, same thing with the music or same thing with any of these people that you, you try to experience and have that be part of your life. Yeah. I, yeah. And I, I think a lot of that is, is super important for people to one here and kind of understand like why it's valuable and why you do it and all this stuff and some of the differences and, and where that line is, I guess, for you. Um, and I, I guess my point too, with the whole outer verse thing is like, I, I actually, there's so many people that work it outside that I really, really like. And then like mm-hmm. friends that have been let go recently where I'm like, okay, this doesn't. So because outside is this big company, like it's this, yep. <laughs> it's this huge company, they have a shorter leash than everybody, so to speak. Right. So when they yep. fuck up, it's like, fuck outside. Right. It's not like nobody hates everybody that works there. Nobody thinks they're all doing a bad job. Like everybody's just trying to make their space and do the best that they can for sure. It's just, it's like the machine, I guess. Right. It's like what everybody <laughs> kind of talks about all the time. It's, and that's where it felt a little dirty to me more than anything. And I, it's good to hear that. Like, that's kind of the line that you, that you draw for yourself, at least in this current moment, you know, cause all that stuff can change too. And that, and that's fine. Right. Cause the reasoning will change and your perspective, your perspective changes and, you know, all, all of that kind of shifts. So I think that's kind of an important thing for, I don't know, to note because it's not like I'm definitely not just hating to hate, right? Like there's a reason, there's a reason yeah, that yeah, I feel right. a certain way. And I think there's a reason a lot of people feel a certain way because there was a right way to do it. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, there's so much, there's so much that I don't understand, like even building their, how they, what blockchain they're on and right. understanding all the different blockchains and which ones will be around forever and which ones use <laughs> certain technology and which ones there's so many layers to that, that, you know, they, they get, get fed information and I'm sure, I mean, it's a massive company. I'm sure they did their homework, but right. I still have people that I trust and that advise my decision-making that are like, that's a bad idea. You know? So I'm like, okay, that's even better to know that I'm, you know, just sticking in my lane and creating art for, for the art, you know, and, and just trying to inspire the world through, through a paintbrush. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Let's kind of shift gears a little bit here and let's talk about the skis. Um, Let's talk about, I kind of want to talk about the line a little bit, not so much the whole line, obviously, because it's been going on for just about 15 years at this point, which is, which is nuts. It's got to be the longest standing ski line, like pro ski line that has happened probably ever, right? Like it's, it's been forever, not, not to like make you sound like you're old, but you've been doing this for a minute now and uh, getting old. (laughs) It's it's, uh, it's cool. I, I like it. It's it. And it keeps coming year after year because it's new. It's fresh. People are not sick of it. And it's really, really good. And now you are creative director for Free Ski and Free Ride at Atomic. So what, how, did you see it going this way? What is it like for you in your head? How, like, how do you, how do you manage that part of it? Like while being a pro skier, while being an artist, while doing all this shit, like, how do you, 
how do you do all of this at once? And did you see it going this way? I am still learning how to manage it. I have no idea what I'm doing. And no, I did not see it going this way. <laughs> I that's I think that's why it's worked so well is because you can't you can't force authenticity. You can't right. force it to repeat what we've created at Atomic would be next to impossible because I am I'm just me. I'm taking influences from all of those things that we've talked about, from people dying, from time spent in nature, from my connection to music and the dead. My like this whole you can't just recreate any single human. We're all different. We're all unique, you know? And so how I'm viewing these things and how I view skiing and how I want things to improve is always been an art form and just an extension of me. And, you know, I've seen Pollard do it such a great job in a similar way, but it's not me. And we've done it very different. And when, you know, when he had, he started his family and Nimbus kind of fizzled because Pep and him and Andy, they were popping out kids before I was, I wasn't ready, you know? So I'm like, okay, this is like an amazing opportunity for me to do what exactly what I want, not what us as a collective want, you know? So I made that chasing El Nino series only filming with GoPro, trying to be inspired from my time growing up skateboarding and watching all the movement in those videos. They follow cam almost every single shot in a skate movie. And I was like, holy crap, gimbals exist. Like, what if I made a movie that was only follow cams, you know, and went on a GoPro trip with Travis Rice and myself and Bobby Brown and a few people and uh, Matt Cook was there and he was filming us and no one else asked Matt to quit GoPro and make a movie with them. But I was like, Hey, I have this vision. Like, would you be down to quit GoPro and do something with me? And he was like, yes. And so we made that series. And then, you know, I've always wanted a van. My wife's mother was passing away and selling her Westphalia. My wife grew up like traveling the country in a Westphalia and had less interest than I did, but I was like, can you, I'd imagine just living out of a van for a whole season, starting in San Diego and ending in Alaska. Like that's my dream, you know? And so I just put that on the back burner because she's like, we're not buying my mom's van. It has 250,000 miles on it. It's going to fall apart. You're never going to make it. And then, then yeah, chasing El Nino happens. And then sprinters kind of come on the scene and then i have a relationship with this guy that runs a car dealership and blah 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 and this is getting off topic from <laughs> that's my okay, that's okay. <laughs> but but what i'm saying i guess is like that authenticity of just like creating for the sake of creating and asking myself like do i want to make a video part for my sponsors or do i want to make an extension of me and make something for me and that's the same with my artwork as the same with my entire career. It's why I haven't progressed with the rest of skiing. It's why I don't do doubles and triples. I mean, I have done doubles, you know, but it's like, I have a vision and I'm care more about how a ski turns and how I slash than what 90 some percent of the ski community cares about. And so right. it's like, could that alienate me and make me lose my sponsors? Maybe, but I don't care because that's like how I want to ski, you know? So it's, it's so funny. And I mean, it's like, 
same with stepping to bigger and better lines. It's like, oh, mini golf's kind of fun. Like, I want to just do super mini stuff and do butters and, yeah. you know, like hand drags and all of these things. And so staying very authentic and true to myself and my creative process has only benefited me. And it's only benefited Atomic and the skis because finally getting back there. I apologize, everyone. <laughs> That's That's okay. a long way but it's like, you can't you can't force that. I couldn't foresee it. You know, it's just, it's having a platform just like web three, just having a platform and an ability to get my vision and my art out there. It's like atomics giving me so many opportunities to come over to Austria to try weird ideas. Like I had a prototype I tested last year. That was a complete failure. You know, but I was like, I was like, I have this crazy idea. Me and Machado shaped some random, like we shaped my own skis. You know, I just had a surfboard shaper help me because I don't know how to shape. So I'm like constantly trying stuff that doesn't work. Sometimes it does, you know? And so I, yeah, I mean, to have a brand that stands behind me to allow me to do that has been instrumental and in letting letting me put some of this crazy artwork on skis like they that was such a departure for atomic and such a risk totally. that they took you know they their stuff was never like that before like it was never yeah. it was so far from that actually yeah not even close and they had no idea if it was going to work and then it works and then you have proof of concept and right. then so now we have 15 years like you're saying i mean i already have the 16th year designed so 16 years of skis that have only they've been through all the recessions they've been through the ups and downs of snowfall and all of these things and they keep selling because they're works of art you know and people resonate with them and they they are functional works of art you know it's like it's pretty incredible and then there's the whole grateful dead idea that you know i throw out atomic i'm like we're doing this. You don't really have a choice. Like the Grateful Dead hit me up and they want to ski. You're in Austria. You probably don't know who the Grateful Dead are, but we're making this ski because yeah. of all the reasons I explained earlier, you know? So it's just them, them believing in me and what we've built together has been the success of those skis. And of course, 1000% is all of the fans and people that buy them. That's like yeah. the proof, of, proof of concept. So if they, if the skis didn't work, I guess, then maybe people would just buy them to hang them on their walls and never ski them. But the fact that they work <laughs> is, is a benefit. I'd say it helps that they ski. Well, I was going to say, I think no, it, like, yeah. people don't spend that money necessarily on skis unless they're truly buying it just for the art. And I think that number is a lot smaller than people who buy them to mount them and ski them and, feel like they're attached to something. I think that's, uh, that's very important. Uh, Yeah. I, it's something, it's a run that I don't know if anybody's going to duplicate. And I don't know how a brand even would go about duplicating a run like that. Like of having the same pro model going for that long and having it be so different year to year that people feel like they're, they're part of it. Like they're part of the experience. And I think that's credit to you. It's credit to atomic, obviously for believing in that vision, but it's Mm -hmm. also like, it's funny. I had Rachel poll on last week or two weeks ago and we were talking about how important like luck was for her and just being yeah. like right place, right time. The design hits the right person and it like, it ends up working. Right. It's like, she's done yeah. work where she's like, this is the best work I've ever done. And nobody gives a shit about it. Right. I, 
I think there's part of that too, right? Like we all have a little bit of luck that kind of makes things happen and makes it all click at the right time. And I, I just don't see something like this being duplicated. At, and I guess that kind of leads into my next question is there's not a lot of other people that have this avenue available to them after being a professional skier, right? Is this a, is this a job that you can see other people getting into that you can see other skiers getting into like your position with atomic now, how I, I don't think people think about that career path after professional skiing. And I think it kind of goes back to the ski style that you were touching on before. where like what you're doing now and the type of skiing, obviously still at an extremely high level, but you can do that forever if you wanted to, right? Like that's not a thing you stop tomorrow. It's like surfing. You can surf for forever. And I yeah. think that kind of, this is the longest question ever, but um, <laughs> do you see, like, did you kind of look at that career path as an option for you long-term? And do you see other people being able to do that? It's, uh, don't worry about long questions. I'm only giving you long answers. <laughs> I, uh, I, I didn't think about it and I don't necessarily know. I can't answer that going back to the authenticity. I mean, my, prime example who's become one of my dearest friends is rob machado yeah like greatest surfer of all time won all the contests went completely off the grid did start birthed free surfing you know before it was a thing he's like i'm leaving the tour i'm doing a movie you know so it's like <laughs> and then he shapes boards and he has his own company and he has like I just have this roadmap of watching him without even real, once again, going back to just like surrounding myself with those inspirations and with that subconscious, just Intel that's coming in all the time. I'm like, Oh, wow. You know, like I don't ever consciously like ask Rob questions. Like, did you have this path in mind and how did you do it? And all these <laughs> things. I'm just like watching this all happen and spending time with our families and like, surfing with them and shredding with them and all of the things. And I'm just like, wow, like this person is, we're cut from the exact same cloth and there's not a lot of us in the world. Like Kelly Slater's not doing that. He's still incredible, but he's Kelly Slater. You know, he's right. not Rob Machado and same. I mean, Candide probably or not probably is absolutely the greatest of all time. <laughs> and there's, I don't think that can be debated, you know, like, I don't think so and, either. He, he is doing his thing and it's working incredibly well, but he's not me, you know, he's not like, he's changing ski companies and like, he's constantly evolving in a different way. And I'm, I'm trying to create something very long lasting with a brand, you know? So it's in it. And, and to, to be truthful to everyone listening, like, my role hasn't really changed that much with Atomic. Like, yes, I'm the creative director and yes, I guess I have more decision-making power, but they already leaned on me so heavily to make decisions. And like, I was doing so much behind the scenes that it's, it's really just every band needs a front man. They still have a yeah. team of designers <laughs> and people and everyone doing like the day-to-day -day meetings and work. And I'm, I just can't realistically be there and do that. So I am, I am just like higher level, you know, inspirations, decision-making on, you know, like the bent line is, is very present in the right. atomic ski. Right. And it's like, they want artwork or we've had art on poles and they want it on boots and helmets and that, you know, like the artwork, the idea wants to go everywhere. So it's making sure we 
we pick and choose the right products at the right time and do the right things for, for all of that stuff. So that, yeah, my role is very similar to what it was. So to answer your question here, as we go with the very <laughs> longest answer ever, um, I think, yes, like it can be repeated, just be, be an authentic person, care about the company you work for, care about your skiing, care about your art and, only do it for you and you'll walk in my shoes you know like i just have always made every decision for for what i felt was the right decision you know even if people told me i was crazy like every single person i know even including that talent manager in hollywood who followed the dead told me there was no way in hell i was making them a movie with the grateful dead and <laughs> here we are you know yeah so. it- I guess, I, and one of the reasons I asked that too is because we talk a lot on this show and, and in general on social about like making a career out of skiing, right? And like getting paid your worth and getting, like actually being able to make a sustainable career out of this sport because you see it happen so often where people are working three jobs all summer to make their winter season happen or they're like, they're doing all the things that I'm sure, like that so many people do. And I just think that the adding value aspect, right? Like what you've done for Atomic in terms of like giving them someone to lean on and doing that legwork. And that stuff is really important for an athlete that's listening to this to kind of understand too, right? And obviously it's their own take, it's their own personality into it, but being able to show value in a way that's beyond just your skiing, right? Mm-hmm. Even if it's all based from your skiing is is super important. And that's that's one of the things that, that I, I really think is is instrumental when somebody has a career that lasts a long time, right? I mean, even you look at Douglas, right? Like Douglas is Solomon. You know this, yeah. right? Like everybody, they associate the brand with the brand. And I think that that's, that's just so important and it doesn't really get talked about enough, right? Like everybody cares about how many backflips somebody does, right? Or the edit mm-hmm. that came out or Candide's latest clip, right, rightfully so. But it's it's a very different Did he thing. release one i, need I to don't know <laughs> yeah exactly yeah if he released one like the internet will break all of skiing will, yeah. you'll see it on every page in, in skiing but um yeah I, j- I just think that stuff is so important and it's not talked about enough absolutely i mean it's we're new we're a new sport where we're yeah you know creating our existence as we're living it you know so it's like podcasts all of these things are such back to web three there's so much we don't know and so much you just have to like ask your heart and your soul like am i doing this for the right reasons and i think if you can say yes to any of that like the amount of people that told me nfts were the worst idea and this like i've just been told i've made mistakes everywhere and maybe i have and i'm trying to just be the best version of myself i can only i mean i can really it to parenting like you are gonna fuck your kids up it's inevitable you know like as a parent you are passing down your trauma passing down your ideas passing down all of these issues but if you love them and you try your best and you're doing everything you're doing and what you're saying and what you're teaching and how you're disciplining and all of these things if your heart is in the right place and you're doing it for the right reasons i think it's going to all work out. Your kids are, your kids are going to be fine. Your career is going to work out. It's like all of these things. If you can truly answer like the intention behind what you do, then 
it is what it's it should should show you light at the end of the tunnel yeah yeah that and actually like this is probably a good spot to end too like this is the last thing i'll ask you how how have your kids influenced what you do now like how has it changed your perspective obviously not just on skiing but as you as an artist and you as a person because everybody talks about that right and like i've talked to so many athletes and creators that kind of all have different answers but it kind of all boils down to like their their perception just changes when they have kids of everything Mm -hmm. so what is what's changed for you and how how is it different here we go with a long answer again (laughs) um it uh it's exposed all my flaws as a human really like i look at myself as a very patient loving person all of these things which i am with my children but at the same time the simplest things and the simplest meltdowns will test your patience and test you it's what you you just can't explain it till you've been in those shoes like nothing else compares to that because this little being all is they want is your 100 percent presence and attention and we in this society can rarely give that you know we're just so distracted we're so busy i work so damn hard like and then i've only had kids i have two but i've you know my oldest is four and a half it's been the most intense five years of my life you know like i i my wife's mother dies we don't have a lot of family help my father's dead my mom's the only one left both my wife's parents are dead she's the only child my brother lives in oregon and they say it takes a village to raise kids, which is absolutely true. And so her, she, her, my wife's mother dies. <clears throat> we have the talk. Like, we're both selfish. We're both loving life. My wife just won writer of the year and blah, blah, blah. You know, like, yeah. we're like this is amazing. Like, let's go climbing tomorrow. Let's go to Japan on Tuesday. You know, <laughs> like, we're just like living the life, skiing, climbing, surfing, all of the things that we love. We've built this incredible life for ourselves, but we're like, okay, like how long are we doing this? What's the importance? Who are, you know, like, is that experience of being a parent something that we'll regret not doing and blah, blah, blah. So we have a conversation, obviously decided to have children and it was the greatest decision we've ever made, but it's the ultimate test of our relationship of our everything so we go you know we have a child then i go we go into my wife who's an incredible snowboarder like being written up in new york times that she her contract with burton is now being addressed like on a global scale because nike just screwed over all their runners and there's like all this stuff happening so then my wife's pressure to get back to snowboarding while she's breastfeeding while we're learning how to navigate being parents. There's just so much extra stress coming in and so much new experience that we're like, holy crap, this is crazy. And then go, we go into fire on the mountain, which is by far and away the most complex and, and complicated movie I've ever made and anything. I mean, I directed, I produced, I helped finance. I pretty much did everything, you know, like I, made the relationships with the dead. I did all of these things and I had help along the way, but it all fell on my shoulders, you know, like TGR was just distribution. They weren't financing anything. They weren't doing anything behind the scenes. They were just a platform for it to live on after it was created. So I, 
that was a crazy stressful learning experience. And then our son in that process of like touring the film got a kidney disease and almost died. And that, that was crazy. <laughs> and then we go, go into COVID and then we go into having another child. And then we go into my wife having, you know, stage three or basically stage four because of the tumor size, but a very aggressive breast cancer. So like, and that's been our last year. So I've had to be the most like stable present parent that, that I could have never imagined the shit I've had to do. You know, like I'm, I'm just like banging my head against the wall sometimes just cause I need, I, you know, like a break and therapy and all of these things probably for the amount of stuff that we've gone through and going back to painting. I mean, painting is an incredible way to let that energy through me and let, you know, like I said, like look into my soul and be introspective and really ask myself the deep questions and let, let it come out. But going with the long answer again, being a parent is I did not see any of this coming. And if this first four years is any indication of the rest of my kids' lives, like I'm in for a serious treat. <laughs> it has been the most challenging, rewarding, every every emotion I could ever imagine, but every every challenge I could imagine too. So been wild. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how you deal, man. I feel stressed, like just hearing, like listening to it. I feel my stress level, like rising through my hairs. Like it's uh good on you, man. That's uh that's crazy. That's, that's such Thank a, you. it's that's to stay sane during that or even mildly sane uh, is, is a feat that, uh, not many people could handle for sure. <laughs> well, we'll look back, Rhett, We'll go another 10 years, see if I was actually sane during all this time. <laughs> see what my kids remember, but I'm trying my best, just like what we talked about earlier with the career and skis and everything. You just do what you can and try your absolute best. For sure. Um, awesome. Well, Chris, this has been, this has been great. I, I appreciate the time very much. Um, where, where can people find you on the internet? Where can people find you? Twitter, Instagram, your website, which is very good, by the way. I always appreciate Thank when you. an athlete has a good website or like a creator has a good website. It's it's very exciting to me because one, it makes my job easier because like I can just go to a place, find stuff that they've done and like do a little bit of background before we have this conversation. But um, where can people find you? Yeah, I mean, Chris Ben Chetler is all of my handles. I I do have an art specific Instagram uh, and then, which is Chris Ben Chetler Inc, which I, I've uh, started making some merch and things just for more accessible art because my art is in high demand. So the value increases and all of these things, but I have so many incredible ski fans and so many people that I want my art to live, live on different mediums. So everyone can kind of enjoy it. So yeah, I mean, I, my website, Chris Ben Chetler, my, Instagram's Chris Benjetler and then Twitter if you care to know my <laughs> take on NFTs or anything like I've just treated Twitter as NFT because I lost Twitter for years maybe six or seven years it got hacked and I was like sweet I don't need Twitter anymore <laughs> you know like because that's just social media is so much work in itself you know and then <laughs> Then the NFT journey started and they're like, you have to have Twitter. That's the only way to communicate with collectors and artists and stuff. I was like, oh crap. Um, so recovered Twitter and turned that into 
just like an NFT ecosystem, you know, just where I'm sharing my art, my ideas, my, you know, updates from the studio or whatever. So Sick. that is, uh, that's more or less it. And then films, you know, we didn't, I alluded to something at the start, but yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Let's some... real quick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's talk about that. <laughs> we don't have to talk about it, talk about it, but what's going on? Like, just like, let's give a little teaser here. Well, teaser. Um, yeah, I've been ever since I closed the chapter on the first fire on the mountain, it was the most inspiring piece of art I've ever created, you know, from the book, a vinyl LP, working with the dead, working with Mickey Hart. He scored the intro for the ESPN 60 minute special. There was like so many crazy layers to that. And my, I mean, I've become a friend of Bill Walton's. And so I communicate with him and I'm like, Hey, would you ever consider doing another one? And he was like, anything for you, Chris. Oh, amazing. <laughs> Holy mean, shit. He, he wants to, and the dead want to, and I want to. So it's just <laughs> a matter of, of everything I just explained about the complexities of my personal life. And it's just finding the time, finding finding the resources, finding all the things, but there was so much left on the table and it was an insane success. Like Fire on the Mountain was the most successful, most incredible project I've ever been a part of. But the ideas I have, it's, I mean, I just look at it as a masterpiece, you know, like I want to spend the time that it deserves instead of chasing my tail through that process. Like, I mean, we could talk another hour about the first <laughs> fire on the mountain, but just lighting and like having calling my aunt to help me sew the LEDs on the outerwear in a skeleton shape. Like there's so many things that I did myself that I'm not qualified to do. <laughs> I leaned on every single friend I had, you know, like Shane Treat, who is one of the most you should have him on your podcast, actually. One of the most Shane interesting. Treat. Yeah. One okay. of the most interesting humans I know, and just so, to. so intelligent. Like Michelle Parker's used him to got. I mean, he does body retrieval on Denali. He's crazy mountaineer. He does hydronic heating systems for water parks. He's like, he is one of the most. He's like the success for Sweetgrass Films for their lighting movies. Like the first no one shit. we did all those years ago. He slept on a ridge in Alaska without a sleeping bag or a tent because the heli left without it. He had to like turn the generator on to warm his boots and huddle himself <laughs> in a snow cave. Like he's the craziest person I know. And just, I call him backcountry Jesus actually, because he'll just show up, show up out of nowhere and rescue, rescue you out of the worst situation. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've called him, I've called, I leaned on so many people that did so many incredible things to make that project a success that, I want to give back to those people and, and have it be, I mean, the grind and the failure and the trial, like that's what makes it so special, right? Like mm -hmm. you want some element of that. You can't just have it Hollywood easy street, you know, like all the money right. in the world and all the lighting in the world and all the movie, you know, like I don't necessarily want that, but I don't necessarily think we could ever accomplish that because you're dealing with mother nature and right. avalanches and terrain and all of the unknown variables of mother nature. And so, yeah, I mean, just talking with, with all the different athletes that have been part of it and hopefully bringing in some more and bringing in some other sports and Sick. have ideas, but 
sadly for you and Cody, the Grateful Dead will continue <laughs> in the ski industry. I don't have a problem with the Grateful Dead. I just have a problem with like the full on monetization of everything everywhere always. And I don't even know if I have a problem with it. I just think it's funny. Like it's uh yeah. it's an interesting and I, I bet Cody is the same that poor guy got like fried up in a pan of like from everybody that was just like the dead is the best. Like fuck you, Cody Townsend. Like his <laughs> his DMs, that poor guy. Um <laughs> Yeah, it's that's it's amazing. Well, I'm glad that's coming. That's that's amazing. I'm uh, I'm psyched, and uh, I'm sure before it comes out, we'll we'll have another conversation. I think this is uh, it's it's great, and I'm psyched. And people have no idea how many things go into making a movie, right? Let alone something like this. It's yeah, yeah. it's uh, yeah. This last ten minutes has stressed me out. So thank you, Chris. You're very welcome. <laughs> Want to leave you with sweaty palms, you know? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, thank you once again. Appreciate the time. Uh, as always, 